Well, the first thing I tell them is about how they need to forget about any other pocket than the 40. I think that's really important if they want to get good and if they want to get better. This is James Gray, a.k.a. Ray Mysterio. He was our teammate on Rolltron Defender of the Bruniverse, and again as a member of Four Horsemen of the Rollpocalypse. You might recognize his voice from the 40 Out trailer. Uh, once they've sort of accepted that the 40 is the only pocket, then we, if we're going to look at form, then there's... It breaks down to a couple basics that are just really hard to do. Find a place where you're standing near the lane or up against the lane. I like to be up against the lane. A lot of people do where they're actually physically touching one of their shins up to the lane. And then get into a neutral stance that you're comfortable being in for a while. Uh, For most people, that means that they're going to have their knees bent slightly. One of their legs is probably going to be pulled back just a little bit. And they're going to anchor their support hand or the hand that they're not rolling with somewhere on their body. Some people like to keep it loose. I like to actually place it on my knee and and lock that down so that no other part of my body is going to move. Like Once you get set and you're comfortable, nothing in your feet moves, nothing in your knees moves, um, your chest doesn't move, like none of your body moves. So at that point, the only thing that's going to be moving at all is your rolling arm. But what I try to tell people is you're not using any muscles in your arm at this point you've locked out all of your variables except for your shoulder your elbow your wrist and your fingers and your fingers are your hands so it's not quite the hand but every one of those has a joint and every one of those joints creates a variable so what you want to do is you want to let that swing loose like a pendulum relax all of the muscles hold the ball just enough so that it doesn't fall out and let your arm swing and let gravity pull the ball out of your hand on the way forward and just facilitate it to go up the ramp. If you do that, naturally, it should go to the 40 just by the weight of your arm swinging. You're listening to 40 Out, the original competitive skee-ball podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Joseph Bullard, a.k.a. Space Wolf. And I'm Willie Garza, a.k.a. Brew Horizons. A lot of people asked when the next episode would be published as soon as they finished the first. We really appreciate the enthusiasm and the anticipation, and we're stoked to finally bring you a new episode. For this episode, we really wanted to focus on value and bring you thoughts from several different rollers and hope their advice helps you take your game to the next level. We recently sat down with enough rollers to break this content into two episodes instead of one. So be on the lookout for part two soon. We're still working towards a regular release schedule, but we're confident we'll start getting episodes published more frequently. So keep your eyes on our Instagram account, at 40outpodcast. All right, let's kill the bullshit and jump back to our conversation with James. Not only is he a great skee-ball roller, but he's also a kick-ass axe thrower, and currently ranked number 30 in the National Axe Throwing Federation. When he is not rolling skee-balls or throwing axes, He serves as Deputy Director of Video and Photography at Austin American Statesman. He had some great advice about basic strategy if you're just starting the role. From a basic strategy point, we're accepting that the 40 is the only pocket. If I'm doing it right, I can't see anything other than that. I can't fathom doing a 50. I can't fathom doing a hundo. A miss doesn't matter. You got to let that go. And it's just like a zero in on the 40. But I'm not focusing on the 40. I don't know what I look at. I think my eyes go blank. I'm not really looking at anything if I'm doing it right. I'll tend to kind of like 
people say that they they feel like I my eyes go down, and they prob my my head position probably goes down a little bit, and I guess peripherally I'm not focused on anything; it's all blurry. But the the line of the swing, the back swing and the forward swing should be in a straight line, and so I kind of get a visual reference there. But really, what I'm trying to do is not do anything with my body. I just want to facilitate it to swing in a straight direction. And then through the follow through, I look up and I probably do focus on the 40 pocket at that point. But generally, it's trying to be no mind and it's trying to be no body. But to go up there and not think, to go up there and not do, is very difficult. I've definitely found myself in situations where I start to overthink my role. I'll notice the ball start drifting to the left or to the right, and I'll end up making some adjustment to the way that I'm rolling that just makes me miss worse because I overcorrected. One of the things that I've started doing in the past couple of years is rolling with my eyes closed. If I just missed, I'll stop, reset my stance, pick up the ball, look at the 40 cup, and then close my eyes and just roll the ball. As the ball leaves my hand, I'll open my eyes, see where it went, and it's usually in the 40 pocket. The muscle memory's there, I just have to let my instincts take over. Right, sometimes you just have to rely on your understanding of the fundamentals. We eventually started talking strategy with James and asked him what advice he gives to brand new rollers that think the best strategy is to only roll for the 100-point pocket. Here's what he had to say about that. I actually recommend that you never go for hundreds if you're just starting out. And he's like, oh, okay, why? Well, what do you do then? And I said, well, the logic of it is you want to go for 40s. It's the one right in the middle. It gives you the best risk-reward payoff, right? So it's easy to hit the 40 one time. It's difficult to hit the 40 every single time. So that's the idea of it, is if you start going off 50s and missing, then it's hard to make up from there. If you miss a few hundreds, you're put in a really bad situation where you can't make up for it. You have a much higher floor with a 40. And over the long term, if you learn how to get the 40 every time, most of the time, then if you start to learn the other pockets, then you get to that point where there's a very small number of rollers who can hit any of the pockets close to on demand. Those are the people that in regular league play will really run up high scores, but they'll also be able to dictate gameplay too because they can control the numbers that they want to put out. What do you tell someone that asks you what a high score is? Give me an example of what a high score is and what an average score is. So if somebody's just starting out, I got this question last night. They were saying, when they asked me what's a good score, the first thing I did was look at what they were rolling. Uh, They're brand new to the league. It's their second or third week playing. So I wanted to see where they're at before I tell them what a good score is. Because one of the things we want to do is we want to welcome people. We want them to keep coming back. So if somebody's rolling a 22 and you tell them they need a 30, I'm going to tell them that a 26 is a good place to be moving forward. Generally, I'll tell kind of anybody, if it's your first season and you are getting 28s, you're doing really solid. You're right in the upper average range. You're better than most people. Really respectable and you can hang with anybody is a 30. And I think that's absolutely true. You'll see the top rollers get 30s. And you'll see some of the bottom rollers get 30s every once in a while. If anybody's hitting 30s consistently and getting 300 games, they're right in the mix of people who are going to be in the top 20% of the league. When I started out, if you were averaging a 30, you were going to make the tournament. You were going to be in the top 30 people in the league. That's not that way anymore. Explain what we're talking about when we say the number 26 or 30. 
Yeah, well, what we do in brisky ball is uh, we end up dropping the zero off of the score. So if, if you go to a Dave & Buster's or any other place where you can find a ski ball lane and you roll what we're calling a 26, the machine's going to give you a 260. So we just lob that off for scoring purposes. It makes it easier to do math for people who are busy doing other things besides trying to do math. You know, ski ball, whatever, you know, brain space is taken up by other distractions. We just lob that off of there. Yeah, I have to admit that, that it was something that when I first came to Austin, when I first learned that this even existed, I did not anticipate seeing myself being so motivated and driven to try to get to be a part of the Austin Nationals team. When, when I was trying to get on for the very first time, I'd have to write it down, but I, it was definitely towards the very tippy top of my priority list. I put a lot of time in. I cared immensely about it. it. I just really wanted to be validated to try to make that. And why? Because it was a challenge and because it was difficult and because I was an underdog. And, and I guess I don't really have a really good explanation on this. I just really wanted to. And it's a rare opportunity in adult life where we get to have this chance to do something that is unique. We don't get to have many, you know, friends or family members that have something that they do just for the heck of it in a space where they can really push themselves outside of their normal day to day. And it's sort of a celebration of opportunity in that way, I think. In the opening minutes of this episode, James did a fantastic job of breaking down the complexity of becoming a great roller into a single sentence. He said that a roller's form breaks down into a couple of basic things that are just really hard to do. Finding a way to do these things consistently every time you step up to the lane is one of the fastest ways to become a better roller. But before you can do that, step one is just wanting to be a better roller. And combining all of this together is how you're going to get there. Like I mentioned before, the muscle memory is there, but great form isn't everything. The biggest challenge that a lot of rollers will face is overcoming the thoughts in their own head. We had a great conversation with Bonica Ayala as she gave some insight into some of the thoughts going through her head. I guess for me to be like considered in the light or like, oh, this is my role or this is who I am. Like, because with, you know, the 2017 B, nobody expected us to like, just well, completely dominate. Yeah, no, nobody expected that. They were like, "Who is this Queen Beesky?" You know, and which I prefer. Like, I, you, I don't want you to know who the fuck I am. <laughs> like, I want to come in here, and then I want to like you know destroy you. But like now, people will say things to me, and I'm like, "Oh, uh, what?" <laughs> um, so I, there's a little bit of, um, I think, growing pains into like managing that energy and that excitement and that also like performance anxiety, which kind of goes back to high school because I. I used to play basketball and I made varsity like when I was a sophomore and but I it was like all this weird hierarchy stuff and so I didn't I like didn't get to play that much my sophomore year it was pretty crazy like the girls or the the players ahead of me that were like I had to like wait for them to like graduate they were shooting the basketball with like two hands um couldn't do a layup I, I kid you not like there is one in particular player who was throwing up behind the bench 
it was like sick and I was like so can I go in now <laughs> like yeah. can I I can go in now right like I mean and he's like I don't know and I'm like what you know so it turned out like I I don't I mean y'all both have girlfriends so she ended up having TSS which is like toxic shock syndrome which yeah. nobody ever knows anyone who gets that it's just like a warning on the tampon box you know but um she had it and I still didn't get to play which I think that kind of like messed with me because you know you're 15 and you're like you're like oh I made varsity okay I'm gonna play and then you you kick ass and like practice but then when it comes time to playing you're not playing and I developed like really bad performance anxiety and I it's kind of and it stuck with me and I was like if I ever play anything again I'm not gonna be that player I think it's fair to say that we've both experienced something like that. We'll put up really big numbers in practice, but we can't quite do that when we get to a playoff match. And I think that's just nerves. And I think that gets worse as you get further and further into a tournament, whether that's a team tournament or individual tournament. I definitely find myself like pacing a lot around the bar when I'm in an intense match, or I'll see my hand shaking. And I can tell that my nerves are starting to get the better of me, but I sort of thrive in those situations. And I like that feeling. It's a little bit exciting to me. I do think there's a point where that can be too much and I need to like just calm myself down. And I think one of the things that I do that other rollers do is have a drink. Most rollers like to have a drink or two while they roll just to take the edge off. But everyone has a sweet spot of how much they can drink before it starts to affect their game in a negative way. This came up in conversation with Bonica because she's been sidelined from rolling for a while and decided to cut back on drinking while she was recovering from some injuries. For ski ball, I didn't really feel that until this year because I'm not, I don't, like, I don't really drink when I play except for, I guess, Lane Sanity. I was like, I'm going to drink <laughs> a little bit. And so I, uh, all last season, I didn't really drink and I tried not, and I didn't drink during the, the playoffs or any of that, which if you look at my scores, <laughs> you're like, okay, I can see that. It's such a different feeling to play with all these nerves sober. And I don't know how to like, how to manage that because I've been managing it through a different like way. Like I've been medicating with alcohol and like playing and drinking beer. Like that's how I played, you know, it was fun. It was just like drinking and playing and then moving to being sober or, you know, like not drinking while I play. And then during the skis and I was like, I'm fine. Yeah, this is cool. I can do this. But then once we got to like the playoffs and like, didn't really feel it the first round, but then when we got to like, you know, championship Sunday, I was like, what is happening? Like, I was a mess. Like, and I didn't have any tools to be like, how do I do this? Like, what am I like? I was just so, like, there was so much noise, and I've just never experienced that. And I think it's a little, you know, not to go this far, <laughs> you know, to, to like, I've won a couple of things, and then all of a sudden you're like, playing like I've never played before and having these emotions and I was like okay it's because I know I'm not drinking and, and I was like oh my god this is you in high school <laughs> and so I'm like this season is all about like okay let's figure out how to deal with not having to drink as much I'm still gonna I'm trying to like enjoy like the health things that happened last you know I'm still like I'm about 10 months out from like my recovery start date so I'm still not drinking um as much I, I'll have like one you know or two for like like one I definitely had some during lane sanity that was like the most I've had all year and I, I don't want to make it a, like a like a habit I don't want to rely on that but I still want to play well and so I'm I'm like okay how are we gonna do this because 
Maybe I'll just drink a bunch of chamomile tea or... And I, I was like, okay, well, I'll pretend like I'm drinking. <laughs> like I was like, I got a, like a Bloody Mary one time and I was like, this is not working. Um, and I've done like a lot of research on like performance anxiety and like ways of overcoming that. It's pretty like typical. You have, you play really well in practice or you have a really good season or season. And then you just kind of like shut the bed <laughs> in the playoffs or like when the stakes get higher. I've been working on like, that and I did a lot of that for the Beeb in 2017 as well. So it's just trying to, I'm just f- trying to refine a balance while it's compounded by like, I'll hear like a lot of like folks will come up to me and tell me things, and I'm like, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> every year is a new year, or every day, like every, like I'm not, I'm not there. That's different. Like I'm learning to adjust to like a new normal. I definitely am hoping that it it balances out because right now I feel all over the place um that's why I was like I'm just gonna start going hybrid because that seems like something that I I don't know like might work with how I feel inside it's like a metaphor for I always think ski ball is a metaphor for my life like when I'm consistent and down the middle 40 everything's like kind of balanced and chill and you're like okay conservative but you're getting the most like you're getting this return and then 50 you're kind of like okay yeah I'm feeling it let's like go out and branch out and now I'm like of course now I'm like I'm gonna play hybrid well I'm just all over the place (laughs) to me I'm like just ready to risk some but also like see how that feels I think the number one tip would be to know that you got to figure out your stance you got to figure out where on the lane you want to line up, and how you're lining up. I would also suggest cutting down as many variables as possible in terms of movement. Like, you really want it to be, like, you know, just your arm and how that can translate to, like, muscle memory. So if you're trying to push the ball somewhere, then maybe try moving your body. And then this, the third thing I would say is where are you looking these are all things that I'm going through. <laughs> like, decide on an area that is comfortable for you. Because everyone's different. I think, like, in sports, it's always, like, what what foot is dominant. But I'm goofy. I, I feel like a snowboarder, and I'm, like, goofy foot, where I, like, my, um what is it, my right, my right leg up. I actually like it. I like when my arm rubs against it, because I know that I'm in line. It keeps me, like, in line. So... That's a little bit of a deviation from, like, typical sports. But I would say just what feels comfortable to you and cut down on the movement. I see a lot of new rollers come in, and they just start rocking and rolling is what it looks like. They're just, like, (laughs) rocking back and then rocking forward. Yeah, and, like, their hand, everything's moving all over the place. And I'm like, okay, wait, (laughs) let's just, like, stop that. The other thing that crossed my mind was, um, oh, yeah, is don't, don't don't start like hundo off the bat. Use the forty as your as the pocket to hone in on all these things. Because like once you get that in line, it'll your foundation will be solid enough for you to move on and to like. And I remember Sarah o telling me like, and I was like, I'm gonna go fifty. She was like, it's too soon for you. <laughs> I was like, I've been playing for like six keys, and what are you talking about? And then from there, I was just like, keep honing it. Practice, practice, practice. But practice with like purpose. Since Bonica's return from injury, she's been on an absolute tear and now rolls by the name Phoenix, a name that captures the essence of her rebirth as a roller. Our next guest won the 2016 Rollers Tournament, 
given him the title of best roller in the country. His name is Roy Hinojosa, a.k.a. Brubaca. This guy's been around the Austin Brewskyball League since the very first season, and he's literally been rolling for twice as long as we have. We talked to him about some of the things he did to become a better roller back when there weren't a lot of people to learn from. I really wanted to get good. There's no manual or... Okay, so let me go back even further than that. If I like to do something, I want to get really, really good at it. And the whole adage of if you're going to do something, just do it right, do it the right way, be the best at it. So I took that to heart and I really, really wanted to get really good. So how do you do that? All right. Who do you ask Austin Brewskyball League when you have everyone's at the same fucking level? Everyone's at the same level. No one knows strategy. No one knows what you're supposed to do with your arm, with your leg, with, with anything. So you go online and you, and you start searching like how to roll a ski ball and YouTube comes around, right? And there's a bunch, there's a, and there's some of those old videos are still there, but there was really no tutorial. There was really no way. Cause I, cause I, I couldn't figure out why my balls were not going in the holes. I was like, <laughs> why can't I be consistent here? What's, what am I doing? What do I need to do to get better? Luckily, the New York League had been going strong for a few years already, and they had a lot of content on YouTube. And so I would watch those videos over and over and over again until I looked at what they were doing. I would glean uh, their strategy, and eventually you kind of start picking things up. Also, at the time when I started first playing ski ball, I was playing a lot of golf. I don't play anymore, but I got really into golf and a lot of stuff that I learned, again, learning how to play golf online, I took to the skee-ball lane. It just made sense to me. Roy also mentioned taking techniques from other sports like basketball and football to craft his own game. But most importantly, he realized he was going to need a lot more time to practice and experiment on the lane in order to get better. So he decided to go out and buy his own lane. That's why I needed to buy my own lane because Rachel, myself, Whitney... And Rachel's mom, at the time, we all bought in to the ski ball. It was like 800 bucks, but, you know, we all split it. I just, hours and hours in the garage and hot Texas summer just playing ski ball until my back was jello and my legs were shaking. And finally, something just you know, stuck. And it was a, a eureka moment, for sure, because that fucking week, it was week eight, and I was not in the Brody yet. Like, I was not going to be in the Brody. I rolled like a 330-something, which at the time was fucking massive. That should have been amazing at that time. Even Cooper was like, holy shit. And that score alone got me into the Brody. Yeah, so it sounds like you were literally just examining tape and taking notes. And even on the teams yeah, was, in, in Austin. Yeah, I was watching tape. I was uh, rolled back <laughs> over and over. And again, like, I was yearning for more Brutu videos. I was like, when's the next one going to come out? When's the next one? I want to know what's happening. I followed it so closely. You know, it, we came out of nowhere. No one thought we were going to win the first the first season. There was a bunch of teams that were ahead of us. Skeezy Does It was supposed to be the winners. We beat them in the in the semifinals. And then it was um, the Squeaks Galari All-Stars who played in the finals. The what? <laughs> the Squeaks Galari All-Stars. What does that mean? Do you know Squeaks Galari? He was in the... Uh, so... There's a movie called Basketball. Okay, yeah, yeah. I just didn't know oh. his last name. I just always referred to him as Squeak. Yeah, Squeak, but his name was Squeak Scolari. Okay. And he went as a Squeak Scolari. That was, that was Jess. Jess was on that team uh, back in the Sister day. Sister Jess, Jess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
She didn't roll in the finals, uh, but she was on that team. Let's fast forward 30 skeezins, since there now are veteran rollers, and you're one of them. And someone comes in, they're like, hey, how do I do that? Do you have any tips? Like, what are the things that people ask you? And then how do you answer them? If it's a late night, don't fucking bother me right now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, in the past, when I try to be a mentor to someone, they, their, game, their game just gets worse. So you got to figure it out. You have to figure it out on your own. You have to understand why you're missing. You got to go up there and roll 100 frames, 1,000 frames, 10,000 frames, 100,000 frames, or whatever, how, how long it takes. But you got to analyze what you're doing. There's no fix for, you know, you, if you roll like me, you're going to be a whatever. Like, no, that's not going to work, you know. I do things the way I do things because I, I figured it out on my own. You know, it just takes that level of, of attention. You know, you can't just say, hey, if you just do this with your hand or you move your foot over a little bit this much or you look at this part of the lane or you look at that part of the lane or, or whatever. It's always going to be different for everybody. Like I said, if you want to roll amazingly, you have to find a lane and just figure it out. There's just not a better experience than that. I mean, you're again, like you can do things or tell them to do things like, hey, make sure your foot your your foot is resting against the lane. Make sure you're not moving too much. Or if something is clearly wrong that they're doing, then yes, I will let them know. Hey, again, it just it just it just depends on every single person. So you ask them like, what's happening? What are you doing wrong? Or why do you think you're doing wrong? And then you know, you, then you go from there. What was your take on Roy's response in the next section? I was fucking surprised, considering that he's all about the forty pocket, all about a middle game and especially the way he coaches or helps you coach the World Monk team. Like, he's all about the fucking 40. So I was super surprised to hear that, you know, that was different. It was interesting to hear him talk about new rollers rolling whatever the hell they want, basically. Right. I kind of remember thinking when he was saying that, just, like, in the back of my head, being like, this motherfucker. Like, like now you're going to say some shit like that? Yeah, where did this come from? I was immediately wondering what other rollers would think whenever they heard it, especially those people who roll on the Beeb team or practice for the Beeb. I hope they feel the way we do because I wanted to call them out like during that interview and just be like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, when did you have this change of heart? I don't know who's going to be more surprised along with us, Austin rollers or people that do not roll in Austin that potentially don't know Roy as well as we do. I don't want people to feel that they're confined. When they're playing this game. I've been a huge proponent for 40. Go for the 40s. If you're, if you're going to be good, be a good 40 roller. But if you're coming up and you're new and you're excited about the game and someone's telling you, hey, you know what? Don't go for the hundos. Don't go for the 50s. I mean, they should, but, you know, you try to make them have fun first. And then, you know, that way they can kind of understand like, and if they're welcome to some criticism or some constructive criticism after some time and they come back later saying, okay, look, I want to be a good 40 roller. Then, all right, let's do this. Let's just figure this out. If someone says like, what's the strategy? Would you have something to say towards that? If like ignoring the technical aspects, but like just the thoughts that's around skee-ball. Score one point better than the the other person. (laughs) That's the strategy. (laughs) Whatever it fucking takes, man. Like, there is real strategy. There is definitely an ebb and flow in the game. There's definitely, you gotta know who you're playing against. You know, if they're they're a hybrid roller, if they're a 40-50 roller, hybrid roller meaning 40-50s and hundos in in that game somewhere. 
every venue's different. Every tournament's different. So, you know, playing in the BMT, the Brewski Mug Tournament in Austin, where you know the people very well, you know their game, you hang out with them, you maybe barbecue with them or whatever, but then you go to play somewhere in the national tournament, and you're playing someone you have no idea who they are. You don't know what their tendencies are. You don't know if they have blow-ups in their game. You know, you just you just have to, like, roll your best. You can't control the situation. You have to do what you need to do. And going back to strategy earlier, when I kind of gave a bullshit answer to you guys, um, I think the, the best strategy is a full circle. I always tell this to people, too. I say, look, if you're rolling up there, and there's 31s, there's a 33, there's a 34, even like a 38 or something, it's kind of like half-ass 40s, 50s or something. A full circle just does something. It's just people see that and realize, fuck, like I got to get a 36, or if I don't, then, then you know, I'm going to struggle. So if you miss one, you're at least a 34, 33, meaning you have to go 50s now to make up that, that miss. Then you start going with 50s and start missing those 50s, and you're like, oh, no. Now I have to like, where where am I at now? Like I'm down. I got three balls left of a 22. Like shit, I gotta figure this out. And then you start going hundo, and you miss that. And then now you're at a 25, and you're it, it. It can go south really quick, especially if you're in the weeds. It can just go bad for you. There is a certain mental aspect and certain like psychological warfare that you can impose on your opponent if you're rolling full circles. Because it's just perfection. And competitive rollers know that. If you come up and like you throw up a full circle, you land all nine of those in the 40 pocket, Like that is just perfection. It's exactly what you're trying to do, dude. and you're being perfect at it. Dude, fucking Bonica, during that world mug, she rolls like nine goddamn full circles. It was eight. They're, eight, sorry. They're still talking about that shit. Yeah. They're still scared of Bonica <laughs> after that. They looked at that and they're like, oh my God, this girl can't miss. And she was phenomenal that night. They were all phenomenal that night. Just so you know, I looked it up. You were wrong. Roy was right. It actually was nine full circles. Bonica happened to miss two balls in the ninth frame, so she rolled a 32. But every other frame was a full circle. She rolled 88 out of 90 balls into the 40 pocket that night. I think there were at least a couple of surprises from the conversations that we had with Roy James and Bonica. With Bonica, I think I didn't expect her to to talk about performance anxiety in that way. Like I've seen her play and I know that she's in this zone whenever she plays, but I never thought about the pressure that she's feeling, especially from outside from outside sources. Because now that she's performed well over and over again, especially at such a high level, that has put her in this place where she feels like she has to be the best all the time. And being in that spotlight has, has put some extra pressure on her. And again with Roy, I think it was surprising to hear him say that like he doesn't want rollers to feel confined when they go up to the lane. And I know he's talking about new rollers and wanting them to have fun when they start playing skee-ball. But it, it's funny to me because I don't know that he feels that way about beeb rollers. Every time we practice, it's got to be the 40 pocket and only the 40 pocket and i don't think that's always that that much fun i think before we wrap up i just want to leave everyone with a tip if you want to get better at this game 
you're going to have to put in practice outside of league matches, which means you need to get out, find a place that has lanes, and get some reps in. Just roll frame after frame. And if you want to, keep track of those scores. Actually measure your progress. And then set goals for yourself. I think that's what every great roller does, is that they put in a lot of time and a lot of frames outside of the league matches. We hope rollers of all experience levels can find something to take away from these conversations with James, Bonica, and Roy, and leverage their advice in a way to help improve your high score. If you're a newer roller, use their advice to focus on how to perfect your rolling style, and if you're already an experienced roller, consider new ways you can stay mentally focused while you roll. Like we mentioned before, we sat down with enough rollers to break this topic into two parts, so you can expect to hear from three or four different rollers in the next episode. 40 Out was created by Willie Garza and myself, Joseph Bullard. We're doing all the recording, editing, design, and social media. We want to take a quick moment to thank everyone for their support and for following us on Instagram at 40 Out Podcast and visiting our website, 40outpodcast.com. There's so much more to come, and the best way to support us is by telling people about this podcast and listen to every episode we publish. You can listen and subscribe wherever you find your favorite podcast. If you listen to us in Apple Podcasts, We'd really appreciate if you could take a few minutes to rate the show and leave us a review. Roll up a chair and tune in next time for part two of Ways to Become a Better Roller. Thanks so much for listening. Mm